Hello and welcome to Become an Educator, the podcast that aims to explore the secrets to great teaching in our classrooms. I'm Darren Leslie, and each week I discuss things that will hopefully make an impact in your school, with guests from classroom teachers to head teachers and everyone in between and beyond in the education sector. This week on Becoming Educated, I welcome back John Tate. John is the Director of School Improvement and Deputy CEO at Arete Learning Trust in North Yorkshire. John started teaching in 2001 as a qualified PE teacher and more recently has taught computer science. John has been a senior leader for 13 of his 19 years in teaching and is the author of five books, 100 Ideas for Engaging Learners, Bloomsbury CPD Library Senior Leadership, Succeeding as a Head of Year, Teaching Rebooted, which we unpacked in our last episode of Becoming Educated, and Stepping into Senior Leadership, which we discuss at length today. We begin by discussing why John chose to write a book for those considering the next step in their teaching journey. We then discuss why it's so important to not only choose the right choose a school because of a job, but why we should choose the right school for us and why that is so important. We then discuss the application process where John shares some of his big bugbears, which I'm sure would annoy us all in terms of grammatical errors, needless errors that we should be more careful with. And then also the nerve-wracking interview process, which I consider to be the biggest hurdle into securing a job. We then launch into what happens now we're successful in senior leadership and what we should do first to enable us to hit the ground running. We then discuss what we should consider for school improvement, why relationships are so key to success, but not only in school, but with the wider community. We then discuss how how important it is to lead people and why that is one of the most important and rewarding aspects of being a senior leader. We also discuss the tricky topics of holding people to account. And then we go on to discuss leading professional development, where John tells us about how we've all been CPD'd. <laughs> and finally, we unpack why it's vital for, a, for leaders to find time to develop themselves as leaders as well as developing others. I love speaking with John for the second time, and I'm sure you will get a lot out of it, especially if you're considering that next step in your career. John, thanks for coming back on the Becoming Educated podcast. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks to you know, thanks for having me back on. It's great to be great to be back for a for a second time. No, certainly. You're as I said, just 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 off air there. You're you're now one of the the elite that have been on twice. Um, who else has been on twice? Um, Mark Enser's been on twice, and Sam Strickland. So I can now add you to that there. So uh, thank you so much. Um, Let's kick off the, the podcast a little bit different from the last one then. Um, can I ask you what you've been up to since the last time we spoke? Because last time we, we unpacked your last book, uh, Teaching Rebooted. Yeah, it's been an interesting time because as, as we were, as we both know, we've been in a state of lockdown. Uh, schools have been kind of, or certainly the, you know, the, the three schools in our trust have been 
heavily disrupted by self-isolations and, and, and that kind of stuff. So my role as, um, as Deputy CEO and, and Director of School Improvement has been quite been quite interesting and I suppose difficult and, and frustrating at times as well because I've only been in the role since July and I haven't really had, I feel, a normal kind of term yet. So I've done a, a lot of stuff working from home and, and video calling people like, like a lot of us have, I suppose. Um, but also I've, I've started my, my NPQEL. So for people who are not sure what that is, that's the kind of executive leadership uh, NPQ. Um, you know, if you went through the kind of NPQ ML middle leaders, then SL for senior leaders, NPQH head teachers, then the ex executive leaders. So I've started that, um, albeit that it's all remote as well, as you would imagine. So I'm doing that with Ambition Institute. Uh, I'm enjoying that. That's been really interesting. And um, also started my own podcast, Darren, which I, which I know you know about because I was I, be, I was bending your ear for some uh, for some tips. Um, and um, I, you know, it, it's a podcast for for our trust, realistically, primarily. But uh, but it's um, you know, it goes out on all the major podcast snaps because it's easier for people to get to. Um, and um, yeah, I've done a lot of learning on that because it was interesting. I, I I had no idea until I spoke to you really how much more difficult audio was than video. Now. To the to the to the kind of I suppose to listeners and to to me being the kind of uneducated one on podcasts a while back until I spoke to you, clearly for me in terms of a simple simple kind of man, audio must be easier than video because video is moving images and audio together, right? However, unless if you haven't done a podcast, you won't know this, but it is so much more difficult. Um, recording a video on your phone and stick it on YouTube, you can do in two minutes and that's it, and off you go. You're done. Share the link. Podcasting. Wow, you know, you've got to have someone to host it, you pay to host it, where it's hosted, getting all getting it picked up by all the directories. And, it, and it's it was just a whole new learning curve and a different ball game that I hadn't expected. Um, so yeah, we I think we're we're five episodes into my to my trustwide one. Uh, we've focused on kind of remote learning for the first few episodes. And uh, I've really enjoyed doing it. I've really enjoyed you know being the other side of the mic. Um, and it's been great, but yeah, it's, it's certainly been a learning curve. But thanks for all the all the tips and stuff that you kind of gave me, and it was nice to kind of uh, to kind of collaborate on something a little bit different as well, wasn't it? It certainly was. I'm delighted that I could play a small part on your podcast, and I loved I've loved listening to it. Particularly, there was one episode where you spoke about remote teaching tips, and it was only 20 minutes long. But my God, the amount of gold in that! And I think it was Lizzie Fox that, yeah. that you spoke to. It was just incredible, and it's the highlight about the podcast. I remember when I started mine on the 6th of January, 2020. I had it all set up, ready to go. I had it all recorded. I had three episodes ready to go. I had build up. I was building up on on Twitter. And then it got to the 6th of January and nothing. Nothing was there because I forgot one of the steps and linking it to, to yeah. iTunes and Spotify and so on. So that was a bit, of a bit of a learning journey, but glad to help. So I've got you back on, John, because, um, is it, correct me if I'm wrong, you've just published your fifth book. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's a fifth, but it's a kind of it's it's a rewrite and a kind of a a, a re kind of uh, republishing of one of my earlier ones that I kind of wasn't maybe as as kind of happy with, and I wanted to kind of you know do a bit of tweaking to it, take some things out, put some extra things in, and uh, and, and and kind of rewrite it. So yeah, right. So it's um it's called Stepping into Senior Leadership, published with with Bloomsbury, and and I and I was privileged enough to to get to get an early copy and and wedge through it and. From being a man in, in my position of my career, I'm a, I'm a middle leader, and I'm certainly looking to to push towards senior leadership in the in the next however many years as I, as I build up. So, can I ask you, John, why did you write a book for those considering that next step in their teaching journey towards senior leadership? 
I think that it, 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 it stemmed from, I suppose a lot, lots of the books that I've written have all stemmed from a frustration of wanting to have known that myself at that point in my career and writing the book that I would have wanted to, to read kind of 15 years ago, I suppose. Um, and I think that that's been my motivation all the way through that I suppose we come into this profession to want to help people. And, I, and, I, and I've used that term, you know, specifically people rather than children. And I think that as I've kind of grown into my career uh, over the last kind of, I've been in it nearly 20 years now, but certainly the last 10 years or so, I've done far more, far more helping adults and teachers than I have students. And, and, and it's taken a bit to get my head around um, and to kind of shift that mindset from helping 30 kids in front of me to actually, you know, not necessarily seeing the, the immediate impact of that, but knowing that my impact is so much wider uh, and has more impact on a, on, a, on a grander scale. So the books that I'm writing, I suppose, it's about, you know, what would I have wanted when I was at that stage? Um, did I have that kind of go-to resource to, to, to help me? No, I didn't. How did I find that information? And yeah, wanting to, wanting to kind of thinking about the target audience, you know, and, and me being that target audience maybe 10 years ago, you know, or, or you right now, you know, like you say, thinking I'm a middle leader, I want to move into senior leadership. Well, actually, prime example of kind of who I'm trying to help and writing it from a perspective of this is what I would have needed. And here's my journey. And here's my, here's what I found out on the way to hopefully let people um, not make some of the same mistakes or take a little bit quicker time on or cut a few corners because actually, you know, somebody's already talking about the teething issues or the, or the thing, or the, or the icebergs to, to navigate around. So yeah, that, I suppose that's, that's in a nutshell why, you know, why I, you know, why I wrote it. Certainly. And, and it covers such a, such a varied ground from kind of thinking about senior leadership to the application process, the interview, then landing your job and then kind of moving on from there. And we're going to unpick some of that as we go through the interview. And um, it starts off, um, asking the the reader to to consider which pathway into senior leadership that they maybe maybe would like because I know there's there's various different ones and and it, I want to ask you John how did you choose your pathway to senior leadership and what advice would you give to those like me that would like to take that next step I think it's interesting Dan that actually I didn't choose my path to senior leadership it kind of chose me and I and I, I'll, I'll unpick that now. I, I never, I mean, some people I speak to say to me that they always wanted to be a head teacher or they always want to be a head teacher. And that's their dream because they've either set their sights on it or there's someone in their family was a head or whatever it was. And, and, and that's, that's all well and good. That was never me. You know, I came in to teaching to be a PE teacher because realistically I wanted to be a football coach and I worked out pretty quickly that if I wanted to earn any decent money or to have a decent social life or anything, I would be working all, all nights and all weekends because that's when kids were available because they were at school and the other times. So I came in to teach PE and I never really kind of looked up to any of the next kind of stages as I was going along. And then suddenly you kind of get, you know, well, not suddenly, over a period of time, you get better at what you do and you get more confident. And then you start to look at the people above you and think, actually, I could maybe do that. And then someone has a quiet word and says, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? So I remember I got pulled into the... Um, uh, one of the assistant heads office uh, my kind of school and you know asked me if I wanted to be if I'd thought about should I say uh, the assistant head of years um, uh, kind of you know advert and I remember saying why would I want to pick up anyone else's crap all day long and then she said well I just just have a think about it and then um, I went away thought about it applied for it did it head of year job came up John have you thought of this no I haven't really thought of it. all right you know did the head of year job did it really you know I thought I did it did it well and then assistant head teacher came up got pulled in. Again, I never really thought about those kind of next phases. 
And it was always the fact that I suppose opportunity came around and it was right time, right place, had the experience, was doing well, my face fit, um, you know, all those different things that you know, we all know kind of really help. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't set out to, you know, it wasn't a, a 10 year plan or a, there, was, there was nothing like that. It was, it was a case of, you know, even when I was assistant head, did I think about being a deputy head until the last year or so before I started applying? No, I didn't, you know, but again, you get to that stage where you, you're looking at the people around you thinking I could do that and I could do that, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that, it kind of picked me, I suppose, but I suppose what I would say was what I found from that pastoral route was that I got an enormous amount of whole school experience that I think hugely benefited me. Um, and I don't want to say that one route is better than the other. Mm-hmm. I can only speak from my experience, but I feel that I may have, and again, may have, because I, I, I didn't do the other route. I may have got more whole school experience in the way that I did the pastoral route than I would have if I went down a head of department or a head of subject route. Because I think that sometimes head of subject, head of faculty, head of department, whatever, whatever your school calls them, maybe you look after pretty well your area of the school and that's where your focus is and ultimately that's what you're paid to do. But as a, as a pastoral leader, you are dealing with everything from all sides of the school. And I feel that maybe that's where I picked up a lot more whole school experience a lot quicker and it put me in a better position for an assistant head teacher who went into immediately leading behavior, uh, safeguarding, uh, pastoral support, uh, dealing with parents, et cetera, et cetera, because actually I'd done that in my sleep as a head of year and any heads of you listening will know that that's your bread and butter. Um, would I have had as that much experience if I'd been a head of, a head of subject? Maybe not, you know, so that's, that's the route I took. Um, really enjoyed it. And I suppose second part of your question in terms of, what advice would I give to people, you know, like you? I think it's a case of keeping your eyes open, looking for opportunities. And there's, there's a lovely phrase that the first head teacher that I, or the, I think it was the second head teacher I worked for, but in my first real proper school, talked about butterfly projects. And these were little projects that let people kind of, you know, spread their wings a little bit that might not be for any money, that might not be for any pay, you know, sorry, um, sort of time, but actually enabled you to start seeing some of the wider school aspects enabled you to demonstrate your impact and I think that it's not always about what am I going to get from this is it extra money is it am I going to get more time it's about the opportunity to shine to um, to see different aspects of the school and to I suppose see the bigger picture because you you don't always do that and I, I get frustrated sometimes and then I think hang on a second would I have known that five years into my career no, I wouldn't because I, I didn't see the bigger picture as I do right now. And I think those little butterfly project butterfly projects sometimes allow you to do that. So I think two things there. If you're somebody looking to get into that, take the opportunities when they come. And if you're a senior leader listening to this, what, what butterfly projects can you give to some of those staff in under you that actually, because those staff are going to be your senior leaders in two or three years time. And actually, you know, if, if you have a good, well-oiled uh, recruitment and retention machine at your school, um, you know that, that looks after staff then you should be providing those things um, and you might think well I can do those things myself yes you probably could but it's not about you doing it all the time it's about building capacity isn't it so I think that that's that that, that would be my, the advice I would I would give I suppose so I love that idea of, of little butterfly projects to, to dip your toe in and, and see if see if, if you like it and, and shining it and then you can find your path so thanks for that reflection and um, something in, in the book that, that was interesting and it's something that's not often considered and I wanted to, to ask you about choosing the right school for you. Why, why is that important? 
I think I, I wrote this because um, we're all different in our in our kind of makeup and our character. Some of us are really creative. Some of us uh, like kind of more routine and, 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 and kind of following instruction. <clears throat> and I think that taking your first senior leadership position is a big step in your career. And it needs to be the right one. You know, you don't want to get three months in. And I, I you know, I know people personally that, that, that have made the wrong step at the wrong time. And it's derailed them personally, physically, mentally, you know, uh, set them back quite a bit. And, you know, you need to make sure that it's, it's the right decision, especially if you are, if you've got a family as well, because it doesn't just impact on you, it impacts on the family, you know, as, as you'd be aware. So it, it's, it's important that we do that. And I think that, so for me, it, it, the reason I wrote that in the book was that every school is slightly different. And, and, and it's interesting, we had, a, we had a chat kind of off air before the show about the difference in kind of the makeup in England and Scotland and academies and local authority schools. But certainly, you know, in England, you've got local authority schools, you've got schools that are part of multi-academy trust. And, and, and just that in itself is a big difference because actually if you work for, or if you go for a job and you haven't really thought about the fact that it's part of a 35 school strong multi-academy trust, there could be some advantages, but also disadvantages within that. Mm -hmm. The advantages might be that there's a big structure around you. There's lots of things done for you. There's, there's lots of kind of corporate tools and things and messages, and, and it might make it easier. But if you're, if you're a creative person who wants to kind of come up with a lot of those things yourself, you might find that actually they aren't your decisions and, that, and it's a bit more of a corporate machine. So it's thinking about where do you kind of sit on that um, kind of continuum of, how creative you are and how much you want to kind of create things for yourself or whether actually you feel it's easier to go into a, a ready-made big corporate machine in, a, in an organization where those things are already happening and you're just kind of carrying out some of those things. And I think the same also goes for whether, whether the stage of the school in terms of Ofsted and in terms of inspection rating. Um, you know, if you go to an outstanding school, you are probably, and again, I'm just saying probably here because I, I, you know, I, I can't speak for every outstanding school, but probably maintaining what they've already got. Whereas actually it requires improvement school or an adequate school, you might have far more license to rip things up, start things again, put new ideas and et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I think it, it's just always worth remembering that and having a real good think before you choose a school because it's about not just them choosing you, it's you choosing them. You know, this is, you're going to spend a significant part of your life and your days in that school from when you wake up to when you go to bed, your blood, your sweat, your tears, and it's got to be right for you. And if it's not right for you, then they're not going to get the best out of you. You're not going to get the best out of them. It's not going to work. So I, I really think it's about, you know, is it local authority school? Is it a mat? If it's a mat, what type of mat is it? Is it a real corporate machine where everything's done for you? Or is it one where there's a bit more license and a bit more autonomy? Um, what's the offset grading? Does that, because I mean, you know, people sometimes might turn their nose up at RI and inadequate schools. But in my experience, they're some of the best ones to work in because you do have the, not a freedom as in do what you want, but if you're a creative soul as a leader, that's your opportunity to, to put your stamp on it and, and change things and move things forward and have the impact that I'm turning that school around. And, and I think that that's sometimes a really exciting proposition. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just understanding that every, every school is different and look behind the job description and, and look behind the title and think long and hard about you know that and also proximity you know do you want to do you want to work in your local school and that's an interesting proposition because people might think well i'd love to because it's only five minutes down the road the problem becomes when you are in charge of behavior and safeguarding and you're living in the community 
you know, and you are potentially excluding kids that live in the next street to you. And, and you know, those type of things were actually, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit you living five minutes away <laughs> from the school at all. Um, and, you know, you bump into people in the, you know, in the local or in the supermarket and, and actually, um, you know, I, I've done that. I've, I've been, you know, 10 minutes away from that kind of school where I was in charge of behaviour and I was just kind of on the outskirts in a, of the town where I was kind of far enough away. Um, and since then, I've kind of worked about half an hour away, which I feel works for me because I like to listen to some music or kind of de kind of um, de de stress in the car on the way home, and, and I can be ready for my own kids when I get home. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of things to think about. But again, and, and everyone will be different in that, Darren. Everyone will have a different. There's no right or wrong answer for that. My advice is just to make sure you've thought about it, and you've thought about the benefits and the uh, the disadvantages of of all those things we've just talked about. Certainly, it was interesting you mentioned that what kind of character are you in, in different schools? And it was great, that anecdote you shared about um, the Quares Improvement Schools, because, of course, um, sometimes they can provide the best opportunities for you and, as you, as you said, be some of the best places places to work, whereas an outstanding school, it could be it could be a little bit harder and cause a little bit of stress. So thanks for, for highlighting that. So once you've decided your school, the next next stage is, is I, I I think this this stage is the hardest part and, and it's definitely the most stressful part, and that's the application and interview process. Mm. That's often the biggest hurdle hurdle for people. So how do we go about um, the interview interview the application interview process to give us the best possible chance of securing the post we go for? And, and right, let, let, we'll split this into two. We'll, let's look at the application form to start with, and then we'll look at the interview because they are obviously a two-step process. Um, but I agree, they are sometimes the most difficult and actually getting it right. You know, you do sometimes need a little bit of kind of thought and guidance and help here. I think first of all, application form-wise, I'm amazed having, having been, as a senior leader, part of many uh, shortlisting kind of um, panels and groups. I'm amazed at how many basic errors are on application forms for leadership positions. Go, even going down to the wrong school name, um, because it may be copied and pasted from a, from, a, from a previous one, which we all do. You know, you've got a standard letter and you kind of, you know, and you, you drag things in and you, you, you miss it. Or the head teacher's name has been spelt wrong or the school name has been spelt wrong. Or there's a, you know, a series of, you know, grammatical or, or, or kind of spelling errors all over the place. It's amazing that what we preach to our students about uh, drafting and checking and rereading and highlighting over before you kind of send it in, clearly we we don't do it ourselves because I've seen so many errors. And for me, that I'm a stickler for kind of detail. So I just, I, I would throw it out immediately. You know, actually, if this is your, because let's face it, what you're putting down on your application form is your A game. This is your best shot. So if this is your best shot, and you've given it everything, what are you what are you going to put out when you're in when you're in the, under pressure and under stress, and you've got to get a letter out to parents today because there's been a change in government policy or whatever, you know? Like, and, and I think that that it, it's criminal, really. You know, you really got to make sure you, you take time. And again, not teaching people how to suck eggs, but you can't check it yourself. When you check something yourself, you know, we know this, we know this, but clearly people don't do it for applications. You don't spot those errors because your eyes, because we're so clever, our eyes read what we think we've written. You know what you've written on the paper. So you're, you don't read it properly. You don't read it word for word. You skim it because you know what's coming. And therefore, that's why we miss so many errors. And that's, you know, somebody reads it, your wife reads it, and she goes, 
and she marks all these things and you go, eh, how did I miss that? That's so obvious. But again, it's because we've we've skimmed it, haven't we? We haven't really read it properly. Mm. And, I, and I suppose that, that that goes into why we tell students as well not to reread their notes for studying, because actually our brain isn't doing enough work. We, we, we think we know what's there and we have this false sense of fluency and exactly the same on the application form. You know, you can miss those things quite easy. So that's it. Check it. You know, do, make sure there's no mistakes. I think the other thing, though, is to do everything, give, take every opportunity that the school gives you. So if they, if they say you can come for a visit, if they say you can ring the head teacher, if they say you can speak to one of the, you know, the current post holder, I would always say take every opportunity because no matter what people say about, oh, you know, you won't be judged if you don't do this. You, the, the opportunity to speak to the head and get your character across and get your kind of enthusiasm and passion for why you're applying. When your application hits that desk or hits the doormat and they've already spoken to you, they can put a face to a, you know, a voice to a, to a name or a face to a, a face to a, you know, an application form. They can do that. And I think that's really, really important. Um, so I'd always say, take every opportunity because it's about doing your homework on the school as well. And actually you might find that when you speak to the head, you are like, wow, I'm glad I spoke to the head because this isn't the school for me for whatever reason, you know, um, or I don't think I'm ready or whatever it is. So I, I would say take every opportunity um, and lastly, on, on, on application, before we get on to the, the interview, just have a look at your digital footprint. <laughs> um, because we all Google people, don't we? We all you know, <laughs> kind of have a look and let's see what I can find about them. Let's add it on Facebook. Is their is there profile uh, locked down to private? Or, you know, and actually, it's quite interesting to just every now and again, just, just Google yourself and just see what you can find out about yourself. Because whatever you can find out about yourself you know that other people can. And I just think it's interesting if that, you know, when you Google yourself, if the first five or six things come up because your Facebook is, you know, un, un kind of locked, you know, it's, it's open. The first five, five things that come up on Google are pictures of you absolutely blottoed on a night out with all, you know, with all your mates wearing, you know, kind of whatever. Then actually, again, it's that digital footprint. And I think it's just interesting to, again, I'm not saying again, it's right or wrong, but it's interesting to know what's out there. And, th and, and if you're shocked, Right, well, you might want to do something about it um, <laughs> because if someone is Googling you, then that, and, and you know, all companies do that now. That's the, you know, the internet's there to, you know, to, to find and search things and we know how powerful Google is. So if you want to find something out about someone, you probably can. So it's worth just doing that and, and almost doing it through kind of through your, through your hands and covering your face thinking, oh my God, what am I going to find? What am I going to find about me? But it, you, you need to know. And, I, and I, so that, that, that's certainly what I would do. Um, on to then, I suppose that, that you know, if you get to that point where you where you are successful uh, in terms of your application form and you get into you get into an interview, um, I think I said this a minute ago, but do your homework on the school. You know, you need to know everything you could know about the school. Um, check their website, read their roster reports, look at their look at their data online, see what you can get. Do you know anybody who works at the school? Do you know anybody who's got kids at the school? Can you find out? You know, look at their newsletters, look at their brochure you need to make sure you make it your job to know every single, like, like an Ofsted inspector would do, you know, what, what can you find out before you walk into that school? And I was always, I was always uh, buoyed by the fact that when I interviewed people and they had clearly known about the school and they wanted to work at our school rather than they just wanted a job, you know, because you, you, you get the impression that sometimes people have applied for four or five jobs and you're just one of those four or five jobs. And they're not really bothered which one they get. 
They're just after a, and their first teaching job or the promotion, you know, as a, as a senior leader. When somebody comes in and actually says, I want to work at this school, this one particular, specifically, because I've seen this on the website, this is exactly what I like, or this, this, and I've read about this, and I've read about that. That suddenly gets to me that this person wants to work here. You know, this person is actually, it's not just an application form they're throwing in. So I think that's really important. It's kind of doing your homework on the, on, on, on the, on the place. Um, preparing mentally, but preparing physically as well. Uh, if I split those two down, um, preparing mentally. So thinking about what questions you're going to ask, or should I say they're going to ask of you. There's only a certain amount of things that happen on senior leadership interviews. You know, there'll be tasks, intra tasks, data tasks, panels with governors, panels with students, you know, the normal kind of question. You can almost pretty much have do your prep on what you're going to be asked. And I think if you go into that and go, oh, wow, I was surprised they gave me a data task, then you shouldn't be getting a job. You know, like you need to know there are certain things that are going to come up. And if you're not sure, ask someone in your school, ask someone who sat on one of those panels, what do you normally do for, for an assistant head teacher or a deputy head teacher job? You know, if you're looking at externally somewhere, what would we do here? And get someone to talk you through the type of tasks, you know, um, and don't be then caught short on the day by thinking, oh, I didn't know they were going to do that. Well, actually, you should have a pretty good idea of the sort of things that they would come up um, and have your answers ready. Do your prep, have your sound bites ready that you want to drop into you know, all those type of things, you know. And, and again, that you can prepare for those things and you, you should be able to prepare for them because actually it's they're the things that you can control to a certain degree, you know. Um, and I said about preparing physically, and I think this is something that a lot of people forget. You know, they prepare for the questions, they prepare for the tasks, but the day comes around pretty quickly and it catches you by, by surprise a little bit. And, and I think what I mean by this, and you and I have had a chat about my attention to detail with pocket squares and ties and my matching kind of things, but, you know, think about a couple of days, well, what am I going to wear? You know, not like getting up in the morning and thinking, oh, what am I, oh, this isn't ironed, or, you know, a couple of days before, Right, what am I wearing? And I remember my last interview, or not should I say not my last, my last school, so this is seven years ago now, it was a two-day interview, and I knew that I was going to wear my kind of bright blue suit with a white shirt, kind of colourful tie on the first day, to kind of stand out, to have that bit of character, to have that bit of like, oh, wow, look at him. You know, he's kind of stand out from the crowd a bit. And the second day, I was toning it down with a brown suit, and it was a bit more kind of my serious kind of look to demonstrate that I can kind of do a bit of both. But I'd thought about it, and I had a strategy, and it was interesting. The governors talked about it afterwards. And I said, well, that's interesting because it was all planned. And they were like, oh, wow. And I think that, you know, it's about what do you feel comfortable in? You know, people have kind of power colors, don't they? You know, people mm -hmm. have kind of colors that they feel strong in or feel confident in. What is that? You know, what, what? And I think thinking about it a few days out so that you've got it ready and you're not wearing that thing two days beforehand and suddenly having to get it in the wash and iron it the night before, it's there and it's my kind of interview thing that, I, that it's there for the week. Um, but things like checking the route, you know, if, if, if you, you know, you, you might have already worked the route out and it might be 20 minutes. Yeah, that's fine. But I've been caught out loads of times when my sat nav on my, on, on my, 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 um, my iPhone tells me it's 20 minutes, but it tells me it's 20 minutes because I've looked at 11 o'clock at night and there's no traffic on the road. And then you, you get in your car at nine o'clock in the morning and it goes, oh, it'll take 35 minutes to get in. You're like, well, hang on a second. It said 20 minutes before. And it, and it kind of takes into account the fact it's rush hour. I would, I would strongly suggest drive the route at the time that you're going to go. So don't just drive it at night because actually it's, it's very different. Drive it if you can at some kind of a similar time to work out how long actually is it going to take me. And again, you've, a bit like anything, if, you're, if you've mentally prepared and you've driven that route before and you've gone that, you know, you're not then suddenly worried the first time, I'm, I don't know where it is, am I going to get lost and am I going to be stressed? 
you know, drive it, know where you are. Um, and then, you know, things I always say about, we all have things that get us through the day. My things they are kind of, you know, I know if I'm flagging a bar of dairy milk and a can of Pepsi and I'm kind of, I'm back on my second wind again. So it's things like knowing that, and you know, if I'm in a, if I'm on a long drive, I'll mm-hmm. pull into a service station. And if I get those, it, cause I don't drink tea or coffee. And a lot of people are like, Oh wow. You know, it would be a coffee for me, but actually for me, I know what works and I know what's my body feel. So my last interview, I packed some chocolate and some cans of Pepsi in my bag and when you've come out with one of those horrendous kind of tasks and you're just like, ah, I've got five minutes before I'm going to the next one. The fact that I knew I could kind of refuel and just sit and have a couple of minutes was a massive boost to me. And it was a, it was almost like an injection of kind of, you know, like a, like a power up on a video game. And, and it's, it's those little psychological things mm-hmm. that again, you can control those things. You know, you can actually prep for them. So you feel a little bit more comfortable. It's a little bit like a comfort blanket, knowing that like, oh, I can go back and I can have that little power up and I'm ready to go again even if it makes no difference, it's your placebo, isn't it? It's that kind of like, I'm ready now. Um, so look, I, I just think so many little things that you know, we need to think about that you can control. And then mm-hmm. lastly, I suppose, I always say to people, just be the best version of you that you can be. You know, if, if you're not right for the school, then you're not right for the school. But if you've walked out of that room at the end of those two days, and it's usually two days, and you've been the best version of you that you can be, and you can't do, any other, you can't do anything else, and if you're right for the school, you'd be right for the school. That's that's the way it is. And I always give that advice and just say, you know, just just be that best version. Um, because pe- people want to work with people they're going to get on with as well, mm-hmm. not necessarily the you know the, the cleverest people. And I, I saw something from Sam and Cynic this week saying, um, you can teach skills, but you can't teach attitude. Give me, you know, that that's kind of you've got it or you haven't. You know, and actually, it's about those characteristics and you know if you were if you're going to be in in someone's team they need to be able to think that i can work with this person so you know come across really strong and um yeah sorry lots of lots of lots of things there i suppose but <laughs> people are thinking right tick tick i can do that i can do that i can do that but yeah they, they would be my kind of my go-to kind of golden nuggets and tips for hopefully landing that job but, but it's amazing having you laid it out there just how many things that you can control you know it, it is a very stressful um environment being in an interview room I think um, after my interview you just need to have a, have a little look at how wet my shirt is after <laughs> how, so I come across I, I believe that I come across quite confident and, and well in these situations but it is highly stressful but as you say there's so many little things that, that you can control and I think so. And I, th- and I, th- I think people say, oh, well, you, you, you don't know what they're going to ask. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. I think you probably, you know, you're not going to get everything nailed on, but you know, they're going to be asking certain things, you know, and, and depending on what type of role it is, for the, you can actually prepare. And, you know, we, as sportsmen, we say that all the time, don't you? You know, preparing to, you know, not, not preparing is preparing to fail, you know, preparing to fail. Actually, you know, it's unforgivable. If, if this means so much to you, do your work, do the prep and do the work of the week before to make sure when you get there, that actually, you know, you, you, you've got it all nailed. And then the little surprises you have, you know, you sometimes walk out and go, oh, that was easy. It was way easier than I thought. Well, it might not have been if you hadn't done the prep. It's because mm-hmm. you did the prep that it became easy. You know? So it was also interesting, you noted, um, using the people around you anyway, if you're applying for a, a different school, then go to your senior leaders and, and ask them because, of course, they, they'll, they'll happily help you. We're in this profession to help each other. And it was great, the, the little nod to your, to your sartorial choices that I aspire to to wear a suit as, as well as, as as you do, Mr. Tate. So thank you, thank you for that. Um, so let's move a little bit on. We're now, we've went through the most stressful phase. We're, we've landed the job um, and we're successful and we're, we're going to begin our career in senior leadership. 
what are the first few things that we can do so that we hit the ground running in senior leadership? I think for me, there's always normally a gap between when you get the job, when you're successful, and when you actually kind of start the job. So I think that there's still quite a bit of time, and normally, um, you know, that might be half a term, or you know, sometimes even up to a, up to a term. So there is time where you can kind of do some of those um, uh, transition activities, I suppose. You know, in terms of that. So I, first thing I would say is visit the school and visit the school as much as you kind of can. Now, your school will probably, again, if it's a if it's an external job you've got and you're moving into a new school, then you know they should allow you a little bit of time uh, to do that thing because they would want to do the same for anybody incoming. You know, they'd want to have somebody in it there. So it works both ways. If you can't get that much time, see, be creative. Can you go after school? You know, but I think that visiting your school as much as you possibly can. And when I say visiting the school, again, it's not just driving around the outskirts and having a look at the, you know, the, the, the buildings and stuff, but actually meeting people and meeting the significant people. So, you know, meeting the head teacher, you know, and actually finding out, um, you know, kind of what their vision is for the school, um, you know, meeting the current post holder, you know, if, if you're taking over from someone, what have they been doing, where are they up to with their plans, you know, what are the things that maybe have held things back now, again, sometimes you have to take that with a bit of pinch salt if they're leaving because they're a bit dis disgruntled, but again, you kind of, you, know, you work those things out, you know, and you work out, but, but again, trying to see if you can get into SLT meetings, I think one of the big things that I did was I, I got into two or three SLT meetings before I kind of started in, in all my kind of, you know, the jobs that I've moved on externally to. And that really just allows you to kind of, again, put a little bit of a marker down of, you know, I, I'm here and I'm coming, but also you, you learn a lot. And, and unfortunately, I suppose for a few weeks, you're in a transition of almost doing two roles because you're thinking about your new school whilst you're also kind of tidying up and finishing off in your, in your current role. Um, but it, it, yeah, I mean, kind of visiting and, and doing everything you can. Um, and also getting access to getting access to really important things. You know, if you can get access to your new email, um, you know, stuff as quick as you can and be copied into SLT emails and, you know, and kind of, you know, whole staff emails, you can be already on the ball with things that are happening in school. So little things that can make a big difference. Um, can you, you know, can you get access to development plans? Um, you know, your, your teaching timetable, you know, that kind of stuff. And then thinking about, um, you know, if you're going to be teaching there, can you get hold of the schemes of learning, you know, and the schemes of work, you know, what, what exam board are they following? Because the last thing you want to do is have to massively adjust in the classroom as well as becoming a senior leader for the first time, because that's two transitions, you know, and, and, and you don't want that. So if you can already be on the ball with what exam board it is, what we teach in, where are we up to, where's the class at, at the moment? Um, where, what, what, what am I teaching next? Where are the resources? And if it's a completely different exam board, then you've got a bit of learning to do, you know, and, and you need to do that. If suddenly you find out it's the same exam board and they're up to exactly the same point, then you can breathe a bit, a little bit easier. But certainly thinking about your own teaching, because it's although you're, you've got a senior leadership position, you're still probably going to be teaching. And actually, there's going to be more pressure on you because if you're if you're going there as, as lead of teaching and learning, and you're also teaching, then people are coming to watch you pretty quickly, and and like they're also wanting to see, oh. This guy thinks he knows what he's talking about. Well, let's go and see how he's getting on. And if you're suddenly trying to work out what the what the scheme of learning is, and you haven't seen the exam board before, and you have no idea where things are, you're not going to look too pretty, you know, in the first few weeks. So, it's um, it's yeah, it's making sure you do that. And then little things like, um, you know, get getting the school calendar, um, not not just for holidays, but actually, what events are coming up, what's on what things are on when I'm first starting, what things are on that I can go to before I, before I start. Um, how can I, you know, how can I plan my time and, and, and everything like that? Um, and then, you know, daft things like 
finding out the holiday opening times of the school because you'll probably want to go in and sort your classroom, sort your office out, have a little look. And actually, if you know when the, the, the school holiday opening times are, because you we probably in teaching always start after holiday, don't we, in terms of a, a new role like this. So you've probably got a week or two weeks or maybe even six weeks, depending on when you start, to get in and do those little things like make your office like your home, you know, like those home comforts of, and you know, I've, I've been a massive fan of that, a massive fan of that from leaving home to go to university to kind of making my dorm like it was my room. You know, those little things that actually buy a plant, put a poster up, put a picture up, but whatever it is, put your stuff on your desk. So it feels like yours. And I think that that makes it feel like on that first day, you're walking into somewhere that you already know, you've already set up. Um, and for any, any current senior leaders or head teachers listening, when I started my previous job, when I had a proper office in a proper school, and I, I kind of don't have that as much now in terms of my role across the trust. But when I got there on the, on, and, and, and my name was already on the door before the summer, and I walked in, or before Easter, and I walked in and I was getting it set up and my name was on the door. I was like, oh, they've really looked after me. And they've really, it, just those little details that actually make a difference. I felt welcomed and it felt like my office. And um, yeah, th those things make a big difference, in my opinion, anyway. No, certainly do. And I love the, the thought that's put into what you can do during that transition in terms of trying to get access to your email, attend the SLT meetings, get copied into things, go in and, and, and what you mentioned there, I love that, what you said about Git Calendar, just an event you could go to um, beforehand and, and get to know some of the, the staff. And I thanks so much. Um, so one of the things when you become a senior leader is that you now have to turn your head to whole school improvement rather than department improvement or, or, or more, more localised improvement so what should we consider when planning for whole school improvement i think first thing darren is to, is to understand the context of your school now depending on whether you are you've got an internal promotion or an external promotion it's understanding the real kind of bigger picture of the school <clears throat> and i think that even if it's an internal promotion you still may not know the whole bigger picture of the school in terms of you know where the school's going uh what the vision for the head teacher really is because you may not have ever been in those conversations or you mm -hmm. may think you have been but it might be a different story when you start to actually see it kind of unfold in front of your eyes so whether it's internal or external uh, promotion i would say understand the context of the school you know understand kind of where the school's going over the next few years what the priorities are what things have been done um and lots of other things around the edges in terms of you know things that you may not have uh, looked at before but you know what's the what's the kind of um, the projected numbers over the next two or three years you know have we got a, rec a recruitment problem in terms of students you know what are the priorities for the school because if, if that's never been on your radar then you would never you would never have kind of come across those things you know what's the budget looking like you know is, is there is there any implications that, you know and it's it's really getting to grips with okay I'm in this school now and I'm part of this leadership team but I, so I need to know what the you know the, the bigger picture and the whole picture um finding out what that vision is from the head teacher because ultimately the head teacher will drive that vision and hopefully you've started to find out that in terms of if you've done those kind of pre-flight checks before the interview and you've spoken to them and you know Mike this is the this is the school I want to work with work with this is the head I want to work for etc etc um and look at you know what requires improving you know what is it that you know because going back to the question you asked earlier about the type of school well what is it you're expecting from me you know, if, if, we're, if we are a requires improvement school or an adequate school and we're expected to be out of this category in 12 months' time and incre increased our progress rate or our headline figures by X, Y, and Z, then that's what's expected of me. But or if we're an outstanding school and actually we need to maintain this and maintain that, and well, actually, that's a very different conversation because you're not suddenly going to go in and knock the door down and go, right, 
I've decided we're going to change this, 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 and this, because they're going to be saying, whoa, I'm going to say, no, 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 no. Like, we've just got record results for the last four or five years. We're doing quite well. We've got a plan, and we want you to kind of work it through. So it's understanding what the head wants, what requires improving. And then from there, what's what what what's your kind of vision then, I suppose, to, to kind of to put that in place? You know, so actually, if this is this is what I want, or, or should I say this is that was what the head wants, how can I enact that? How can I put that in place? And kind of putting your vision alongside the head's vision of, okay, this is what's going to happen. And then coming down to a granular detail, quick wins and priorities. You know, what, what you know, actually, what are my priorities then? Because, all right, it might be to take the school from, from X to Y over three years, but actually there's going to be some priorities in that time that I need to kind of nail down pretty quickly. And also, what are my quick wins? And, and, and this is something I learned from my NPQH quite a few years ago, that actually, if you go into a school and you take... 24 months to, to demonstrate any impact you're not going to kind of get you're not going to gain that kind of trust and respect pretty quickly if you go in and work out pretty quickly the things that have been annoying some of the staff and you can fix those irrespective of how little they are you'll be a hero in people's eyes pretty quickly and, and it, the, the 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 anecdote that was given to me on my mpqh was if if the staff room coffee machine has been on the blink for ages and it's annoying people and you can fix that in week one as a senior leader. And you, t- you know I mean, you will be in everyone's eyes straight away. This guy's made an impact. Wow. Because it, it's what makes a difference to people. Do you know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. sometimes what makes a difference in your spreadsheet and your development plans doesn't actually filter through to people on the ground. And it's, it's understanding that and understanding how can you make um, uh, kind of clear and, 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 and clear difference to people and how can they feel it? How can they, f- and the, the quicker you can do that, the quicker you'll get people on board or go, hey, this guy's good or this girl's good or, wow, she's great. Oh, why, why is she great? Well, she fixed the coffee machine and we won, didn't she? And it doesn't matter what it is. The fact that you've took the time to work out what's annoying people and if you can move those things forward, and that's that's in any organization, isn't it? If you can make those quick wins, then um, I think you'll be, you, you, you'll, you'll be held in high regard pretty quickly. And then when you have to make kind of other difficult decisions down the line, You've already gone. You've already done things, to people. You've already made a difference, to people. You're more likely to have currency in the bank with them to be able to make those difficult conversations a bit easier. So, yeah, that's certainly um, you know find out what those quick wins can be and get them done. Certainly, we're going to come back to difficult conversations later on. But it was a little bit later on. But it's great that you, you make you reference that it's about making a difference to people and um, relationships, as we know, are, are key to success in school and with the wider community. So as a senior leader, how do you go about building strong relationships with, with all stakeholders? Because as you become a senior leader, you, there's so much more stakeholders that you need to need to, to know about and, and work work with. Yeah, and interesting kind of stakeholders, when you when you kind of unpick that and people say, okay, well, what are, what does stakeholders mean? Because it sounds a bit like a business term, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's, and I remember that thinking, oh God, it feels a bit business like this. But ultimately what it means, it means everyone that's involved in your organisation that's some kind of, it has some kind of impact or, or you have impact on them. So that goes from the students that you would have normally thought about if you were head of year, head of department, et cetera, et cetera. The parents, um, the staff, the governors, who you might not have had much dealings with before if you haven't kind of been at a certain level. And, and that's that's no disrespect to anybody. You, you only sometimes get exposed to certain experiences in school when you get to a certain level. And sometimes governance is one of those kind of things. Um, but also the school community as well generally and certainly here in England when I've got obviously far more experience most schools are built in the middle of communities and housing estates 
and we have a general a huge knock-on when we open our doors or when we add in the morning or on a night that students continually walk past and walk through those communities so i think that the quicker we can build up relationships with, with members of the community and i mean residents and businesses as well because lots of schools and people listening to this will know that their students will either at before school lunchtime or after school or all three frequent chip shops pie shops sandwich shops news agents whatever it is um <clears throat> tesco sainsbury's around the school in your school uniform and if they're not a great kind of advert for your school then straight away it, it's a double whammy isn't it because you've got kids you know doing things they shouldn't do and wearing your school uniform on your badge so the, the quicker you can build up those relationships so i think with you know it's about presence and it's about um uh kind of visibility and actually being out you know with, with you know as a new member of staff being out with kids speaking to kids on you know taking the opportunities to speak to kids get to know students demonstrate who you are you know show your presence be on the school gate speak to parents in the morning you know if you're a primary school when parents are dropping them off have the opportunity to you know, if you've got a high vis jacket on or a vest whatever it is get out there speak to people oh you're the new senior leader right oh yeah this is who i am and the chance to kind of i'm going to say shake hands now and hopefully this will come back at some point <laughs> post covid but the chance to just shake hands and smile with people goes a long long way because you're not suddenly the scary man that's doing behavior or doing safeguarding you're actually a nice guy who's got a smile and a, you know, and a, and, a, and, a, and a way for people on the on the morning on the gate. Um, again, talk, we've talked about quick wins. You know, getting those type of things done, especially with with businesses as well. You know, and 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 in the residents in the community. I remember when uh, two schools ago, when it was snowing, and those kids throwing snowballs, just generally throwing snow around, and you know, every now and again pelting them off the side of brick walls and the side of gable ends of houses. And actually, the residents were getting really annoyed. And, and, and fair play, you know, elderly residents getting annoyed, getting worried and scared, thinking their windows were going to go in with snow. And I said, listen, I'll, I'll come over. I'll, I'll come around. I'll sit in the house if you want. And they were like, will you? I said, yeah, I don't, I don't mind at all. So I went, sat in the house, looked out the window, three o'clock, kids were coming past, throwing stuff. I popped out the door. All right, boys, how are you doing? And the kids were like, <gasps> but the word got around the community that Mr. Tate will do this, you know. Mr. Tate's come out. He's done that. What a guy he is. And I just think that anything you can do where you can do the hard yards and show people you've done that goes a, goes a long, long way. And, that, and we all know that word of mouth around the community about the new head, the new deputy head, the new whatever it is. Or I just think, you know, it, it goes a long way. And the same with businesses as well. You know, my last school, we, we had a, a row of shops at the kind of at the, the end of the main road where the school was. Kids always flocked there after school and before school. And to be able to kind of walk down and do a duty at the end of school, uh, you know, with the lanyard, the hive is on the radio. And I always made sure that I popped my head in just to say, hi. So they knew I'd, you know, they, they'd seen me. I made a point of saying hello. If they had any trouble, they could speak to me. But they knew that there was a little bit of presence and we were just, we had their back and they had ours, you know, and I, those little things, you know, it's just, um, you never know when you're going to need that kind of, um, that backup uh, in terms of just that kind of confidence, I suppose, you know, from, from the community. Um, and, and ultimately, when the kids leave your school, they're an advert for your school. And the more you can get out there and, and help and demonstrate that you are you are conscious of that and you are conscious of the footprint of those kids leaving through the community every night and not just saying, well, they're off our site now. They're not our problem, mate. Mm. The fact you're getting out there and you're doing those things, whether it's raining, snowing, windy, you're out there with your jacket on, waving to people, saying hi. 
I just think, you know, kind of why would why would you not want to do that? Do you know what I mean? It, it, it just makes sense. So, um, yeah, there's a lot there, I suppose. But it's, again, it's visibility, it's presence, it's humility, it's relationships, it's saying hi, it's getting out, it's handshakes. It's all the things that politicians do, you know, before elections, don't they? They get out there and they do those things. And that's why they do it. You know, yeah. because actually somebody stood at your door shaking your hand and speaking to you and, and being a human being is different to what you see on the telly. And we need to understand where sometimes the man on the telly or the, or the man that signs the letter, aren't we? With, with that person, that if they've never seen you before, they might have a... And, and if, they haven't, if they've got a negative approach to school anyway from their own schooling and their own school times, then actually you're just going to carry that message on. So by actually you know, changing that opinion by speaking to them, I think it's, it's hugely beneficial. There certainly, and it certainly goes a long way because, as you know, as you mentioned, their schools are such um, pillars of community, and they're right in the centre of community. So, I think as a senior leader, being able to to be known in the community as well for all the for all the good things is, is definitely going to go a long way. And you mentioned presence there um, a bit because my, my next question for you is this idea of leading people, and, and it must be one of the most important and rewarding aspects of being a senior leader. So, how do you develop your presence in a leader and use this to lead change? I think I said before, it's visibility. It's kind of getting out there. And I, well, I say I say it's like visibility. There, there, are they are connected, but they're not the same. You can be visible, but not have presence, right? <laughs> and, and we've 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 probably seen anyone listening to this will probably know that they'll have seen people around and about, but you could blow them over. You know, like actually, they haven't really got any presence. They're just kind of there because they are. They don't really know what to do, and therefore they're just walking about. Presence is something slightly different, you know, and actually having that presence and it, it's about confidence and integrity and, and character and, and charisma and, 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 you know, that, that kind of, you know, confidence of speaking to people and, 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 and not kind of not looking away and turning a blind eye to things as well. And actually, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the standard that we walk past is the standard that we accept. And I think that's really important to remember that we can all turn a blind eye or not, not, not walk, you know, not kind of pick up the rubbish on the floor or, you know, not want to take on the challenge of that student that said something to you because you think it's going to be difficult, but actually you're just then condoning and accepting that and kids pick up on that pretty quickly. Um, but in terms of practical things, being out on duty, you know, getting yourself, out, duty can be the worst thing in the world and it can feel like a, oh God, it's my duty day. But you know what? It's the chance to have a off the record kind of social chat with someone who's been teaching for, six months I was on supply and you're the deputy head and you never get that chance because it would be a really formal conversation otherwise, but just on the gate, that kind of, how things, how are you doing? You're like, oh yeah. And you just get loads of kind of informal information. And I think that's when it, you start to build up um, real kind of um, trust in people. You know, the fact that you're stood there in horizontal rain in minus five on the gate in the morning with someone and you're not saying, uh, I'll go and do the, the duty inside if you want, and you can still on the gate. The fact you're out there with them and you stood there and you're going through those tough times with them, I think that really builds a lot of trust and a lot of character. Um, so being out there and speaking to people, finding out how people are doing, finding you find so much from just speaking to people. Just ask people because they want to tell you, you know, how things going. Well, actually, and you go, oh, okay. Um, sometimes it might not be it might not be what you want to hear, but but it's it, it, it's what you really do need to hear. And, and, you know, people will tell you, you know, you, you speak to people, you'll find out things um, and you find out that people will tell you a lot as well. Do you know what I mean, you, you kind of, you can speak to those people, but it's interesting as well. You know, I always take time to speak to supply teachers coming in. What's it been like today? What have the kids been like? What's the support been like? Has the head of the department been in a few times? 
and you quickly find out what's the experience of somebody new in our school because speaking to someone who has already been experienced in your school it's been there 10 years well they know what to expect they can do it with their eyes closed someone who's just come in for the first time actually that's a really good barometer isn't it uh, and then also if they've just come in for the first time they've probably been in four of the schools that week and they'll be also able to tell you well actually this is the best school i've been in this week you know or Mm, well, I've had a nightmare because, all right, where, where else have you been this week? Oh, I've been to X, Y, and Z. All right, was it, was it better there? Oh, the behavior was way better. And you're thinking, oh my God. Like, but you can find those things out by speaking to people. Yeah. Um, so get out on the corridors, get out on the yard, the field, um, get out you know, in and out of classrooms. I made a, made a beeline for kind of whenever I was able to. I used to try and walk the school every day uh, in, a, in, a, in a free period, um, you know, opening classroom doors. Hi, miss. Hi, sir. How are we doing? Everything all right? Yeah, fine. Oh, great. Are we all working hard? Yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. What are we doing today? Are we doing this? All right, brilliant, brilliant. All right, great. Thanks. Bye. Shut the door. Now I've been in, I've demonstrated my presence, demonstrated my visibility to kids, to staff, et cetera, et cetera. And in those 20 seconds, my eyes have picked up so much. Like, you know, I've got a radar for kind of what's happening. Was everyone working? Were they all on task? What was going on? Was the teacher sat, sat down? Were they stood up? Did they have their presentation on the board? What were they doing? What was the work ethic like? What were the habits like? And you learn so much if your eyes are, are kind of peeled and ready to go. Um, so yeah, get out and about. Um, my last head used to always want to, to, site, to schedule himself in for a learning walk or a walk of the school um, on the last period of a Friday every week. And that wasn't because he wanted to see how bad it was on like Friday period five. He wanted to wish everyone a good weekend. And I think that was really nice that he, that he wanted to walk the school period five on a Friday to say, how are we doing? Are all right? Yeah, great. Thanks for having this this week, miss. You have a great weekend. I'll thank you. And and I think those words go a long way, you know, um, to everyone that actually somebody's taking the time to kind of come in and say that. And, you know, have a great, have a great weekend, kids. Be safe. It, it's just, again, it's human relationships. It's mm-hmm. trust. It's character. And I think those things are great. And then lastly, get into events as well. You know, you, you can't get to everything and, and you shouldn't think you can get to everything. But if you can get to kind of, you know, a football fixture or a kind of school concert or those type of things. I think it's really important, isn't it? You know, and I think it's, it's nice to demonstrate your um, your commitment to the school far wider than just what you kind of, uh, what your kind of normal day-to-day role is. And again, that goes, look, you know, if you turn up to the art exhibition and they're, they're not expecting you then suddenly, oh, wow, I didn't know you were coming. Well, I want to see what the kids were doing and it's great. And, you know, that goes a long way. I think it really, really does. So yeah, anything like that, I think to get, get to, to as much as you can um and then you've got again it's about currency in the bank with people you've got mm-hmm. more currency in the bank with people to to lead change and to make those things happen when you when you need to so yeah definitely so the, the, the focus of the last couple of the, sorry the themes of the last couple of that little informal chats the mm. the being in the trenches with people it, it, mm. it's, it's it's just what it's all about is that relationships with people and, and being working alongside people and it kind of all, as you say, it all adds up. If if you're always visible and always there, and you're alongside people, when when you when you need them, they'll 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 rise to that and they'll, they'll work with you rather rather than rather than against you. So thanks for that. But it comes to um, kind of one of the more challenging aspects of senior leadership, and this is this idea of holding people to account. And I and I think this must be incredibly hard. Um, how do we hold people to account, and what tips can you share for dealing with difficult conversations? Um, it is the hardest thing of leadership, definitely. Um, but I think it's about it's about accountability at all levels, um, and not just that kind of senior leader level. <clears throat> you know, it's making sure that teachers are accountable for, for for what's happening in their classrooms, 
uh, middle leaders are accountable for what their um, what their job role is, uh, you know, what it isn't, and making sure that they are holding people to account underneath them if they're TLR holders or kind of second in the department, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how you get it done, I suppose, it's, it's, it's having a real clarity of vision and expectations. You know, if I'm line managing you, I need to tell you what I'm expecting of you and, and, and when I want it done by, et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and what the expectations are. And then once that's happening and you're clear with that and you've, you know exactly what's expected of you and it's very clear what you work, how we're going to get there, monitoring it. You know, actually not just, oh, I've told you this six weeks ago, six months ago, but actually monitoring it, you know, meeting by meeting, week by week. Um, and then I always run by the kind of, the, the line of, would it be good enough for your own children? You know, would that standard be good enough for your own children? And if it wouldn't, then actually you can't duck that conversation because if you do, I've said this a lot of people before, and I don't mean this to sound kind of harsh, but if it's not good enough for your own children and you duck the conversation, that's just weak leadership. And it's not fair because if it wouldn't be good enough for your children, why is it good enough for somebody else's children? Mm-hmm. And actually you're therefore not doing any favors and you're doing a disservice to the parents out there that you are supposed to be kind of serving and, and, and kind of caring for their children. Um, so, you know, I was thinking about that. I think that, that's a really, that gives it, makes it really clear in my mind. I think, you know, when you're thinking, should I act? Should I not? Is it time to have a conversation? Is it time to hold some? Well, actually, would you be happy if you knew this was happening in the school where your kids went? And if the answer is no, you wouldn't be happy, then actually you've got to, you've got to move forward. You've got to do something because otherwise you are then just compliant with that standard, you know, and, and I don't think any of us would want to stand up at a national conference and say, I'm happy with this standard of education in my school and here's what it looks like. If it was awful, you've got to then do something about it. So I think that, that for me is how I kind of crystallise it really. Certainly, thank you so much. And it and it's such a such a hard hard thing to do. But you're right; they had has you have to ask yourself these serious questions. And it, and if it isn't acceptable, you need to to challenge them head on. Now to bring it back to to um, more, some of the more exciting things in uh, senior leadership is this idea of leading professional development, and it's it's a, 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 a it's becoming a real interest of mine. So how do you plan for, deliver, and evaluate meaningful professional learning? I think I always say it's, it's about kind of putting the professional back into professional development. And I, and I, and I think that, you know, how, how many of us could say our professional development experiences previously have been professional? And, and, and how many of us would say, wow, it's been, it's been anything other than professional? So, it, it, you, know, I, you know, it's about... Would we, you know, would, would, would we class it as cutting edge? Would we class it as innovative? Would we, you know, and I think if we want our teachers to be cutting edge and we want them to be the very, very best they can be, you wouldn't pour orange juice in your car and expect it to run. I mean, you put quality fuel in there and that's what it's about with teachers. It's about how, how do we make sure we do that? How do we put the, you know, the kind of right um, quality in, 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 into there? And I think I've always thought that it, we need to think more about the delivery and the style of delivery than just the content itself. And, and actually, how can we get, how can we engage people in it? Um, and, you know, because professional development should be done with people and not to people. It shouldn't feel like it's been done to you. You've been, you've been CPD'd. And, and it was interesting that I'd banned the word CPD at my last school. I banned it because it had so many negative connotations, not just in the school, but, in, you know, the profession itself with crap, things that are not professional and don't develop anybody. So I think trade, trade and standards would have a field there with most schools kind of CPD offer because it's neither, you know, it's, it's anyway, and it's not continuous because it happens every now and again. You know, it's kind of like, wow, when you pick that apart, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things wrong there. So 
I banned it and I, I just, I started, we, we, I called it kind of my last school, AGS Inspire. And we, and we talked about professional development and, and, and professional learning. And when anybody came in the school externally who didn't know me and kind of was in earshot and said about CPD, I could, I could see people like wincing and looking at me and going, oh, someone's dropped the C-bomb on John. And it, and it kind of, it became that kind of like, you know, that, that kind of, it's just what we didn't do. We didn't say it anymore because it was, it, it, it just, I think of all the CPD sessions and stuff that people have been in, the vast majority are, are exactly how you wouldn't want to teach kids. Mm-hmm. You, know, you sit people down at the end of the day and you talk to them line by line off a PowerPoint and you're like, hang on, we wouldn't do this to kids. And it's like, yeah, but you're adults. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean say we have to take this. So it's about thinking about innovative delivery styles. And you know, I did a lot of flip learning through uh, professional development. Uh, did lots of videos beforehand. Um, we gave out digital badges. We did market stall events. We went to a voluntary method rather than compulsory because I, I thought that you know, if you told everyone they had to be there that night, then straight away people don't want to be there. And when you started to make it voluntary, it was that kind of reverse psychology where people were going, oh, I don't have to be there. Oh, wow. And then people started coming because they were kind of intrigued. And it, and it was our, our numbers went through the roof. We had more people attending because it was voluntary. And it, what, attending full stop wasn't voluntary, but ultimately picking what you wanted to do and treating people like professionals and like adults you know, wanting to work on the things that they needed to work on really works. And I think if you just tell people we know best and you're all going to do it and, and it's a, everyone needs to do the same development at the same time. Well, hang on, how does that work? Because we're all different. You can't tell me every teacher in this, in this hall right now is at the same experience, same level of ability. It's like, come on, you know, but we still do it, you know, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's wrong. So we, I've, I've been a big advocate of that over the last seven or eight years in terms of professional learning and really making sure that it's innovative, it's quality, it's cutting edge and uh, it's paid off. You know, it's been, a, it's been a real, it's been that kind of juice that's kind of got us going, you know, and I think that, that that's, so that, that for me is, is a big takeaway is that focus on the, the delivery as much as you do the, you know, the, the content. Certainly, I love it. It's an idea of you being CPD. It is, isn't it? It's kind of like, you know, you get brought back after school and you've already taught five lessons you know, and maybe had a meeting and then there's a, there's a twilight CPD and you're like, ah, and no one's listening. No one's, no one's switched in, but it's ticked off the list. And it's like, really, is that, is that, is that, are we, is that, is that good enough for us? You know? So. Certainly we need to be far more responsive than these. And it was great that you highlighted that, you know, if you've got 70, 80, 90 teachers in a room, they're all at different stages of expertise, different stages of their career and have different needs. So it's, it's about being responsive to that. So thanks for highlighting that. My final question in, the, in this interview section, John, is, is we've, we've spoken right through from picking the right school, the application process, making sure you get the name right on the application, all the things we can prepare for for the interview, and then kind of the, um, this idea of, of relationships and, and being present all the way through the leadership journey. But as a leader, why is it vital that, that you as a leader find time to develop yourself as a leader, so really focus on your own professional development. Leadership for me is the key to school improvement, and I think that, that that's ultimately where we need to kind of get this right. Um, and and more time needs to be spent on that with leaders because if you're not um, if you're not navigating the ship in the right way, you can have the best teaching or what you think is the best teaching kind of going on on the ground, but it's not then you know you're not kind of navigating it and you're not being smart enough as leaders to kind of get to the right place. Um, I think it's about growth mindset. It's about understanding that we're never the finished article. We can always learn from each other, whether it's different contexts, whether it's different um, leadership kind of theories, whether it's different practices, whether it's different kind of context, whatever it may be. 
growing those networks, speaking to people, visiting networks, um, having support as well, because it, what's interesting is that as a, as a teacher and even as a, as, a, as a middle leader, there's probably more of you in the school than just you. When you get to a senior leadership position, you're the only one of you. Like if you're leading teacher and learning, you're probably the only one leading teacher and learning. If you're leading behavior, that's you. And actually therefore you become quite, or can become quite isolated in your decision-making because the decision rests with you because you're the only person doing it. And it's really interesting to remember that there are other people in other schools having the same job title that are going through the same issues. You know, should we grade observations? Should we not grade observations? Should we exclude? Should we not exclude? How are we going to do that? You know, all those type of things. You're sitting at home thinking, I need to come up with a solution to this. And the school down the road is doing exactly the same. And it's about trying to find those networks where you can have a trusted space with like-minded kind of leaders who are doing the same role that you can A, learn from, B, I suppose, kind of collaborate and share ideas with, um, but C, kind of like talk to in a trusted kind of way and say, listen, I don't know the answer to this. Has anybody, has anybody kind of solved it? And I think that's really useful and powerful and, um, and mature as well. I think you know, that, that, that's what we kind of need to do. Um, and and I, I think that, you know, if we're not kind of spending time on ourselves as leaders, then I think it's worrying because if, if you went on, let's say, if you went on holiday when we were allowed to go back on holiday again, if you went on holiday and you would expect the pilot of the plane probably to be the most qualified, the most up-to-date, the most well-trained and the most on their game. If you, you found that that person had done no training for like donkeys and all the training was done by the flight attendants, you'd be like, mm, I'm, not as, I'm not feeling as safe on here anymore. And, and that's it. You know, the, the leaders of the school have got to be the, the cutting edge and they've got to be absolutely up to speed and at their, and their air game all the time. Otherwise, you know, the flight's not getting there on time or it's the wrong plane or, or God forbid the flight comes down. You know, there's all those things that actually as leaders in our schools, we need to be that. We need to be those people. We need to be the, the, the most highly trained, the most aware, the most professionally developed, the people with networks, the people who understand things. We've got our finger on the pulse. We know what's happening. Um, and we're ready to respond to, to whatever happens. And so I think if we're not that, then that's, um, it's almost neglectful, I think, mm-hmm. as, a, as a leader, if you're not that person. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean working 12 or 14 hour days. It means actually allocating time to do that. And if it means allocating two hours a week to do some reading, and that's quite a difficult thing to do because perception would say that, what, you're just going to sit and do some reading for the next two hours. I'm on the yard now, I'm doing this. Yeah, but... That's, I need to because, you know, not because I'm behind, but I need to keep up with everything that's going on. And I think sometimes taking time to actually do those things properly makes you a better leader, even if the perception is that, what's he doing that for? What's he doing that for? I, I do think that's really important because mm-hmm. how can you lead other people if you're not the best leader you can be? So I definitely think that, that that's something that, that I would. And going back to my earlier days as a leader, I would have wanted to do that more. You know, one thing to kind of tell myself five or 10 years ago would have been to read more and to not read at like 11 o'clock at night or like, you know, while I'm waiting for, you know, something, you know, I'm on the yard on the gate to actually take proper time where I know I've got two hours of dedicated time coming up to actually read something properly or an hour or whatever it is to read it properly and then disseminate it afterwards, granted. But I think that I, I, w- I would probably wish I'd done that a little bit better over the last kind of few years. Certainly, and it's, it, I think it's a, a great um, idea that if we're wanting the staff to, to read and, and learn, it's, it's, it's vital that it's role-modelled by, by the senior leaders. 
So that brings us to the end of the interview section, John. Before we go into the quick fire, can I can I please ask you to, to share um, where listeners can go and and get the book, stepping into senior leadership, and also can you direct them to um, where they can contact you, perhaps your social media. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the book uh, books are available on, on Amazon, which I suppose is where a lot of people kind of get things from now. So if you just search Amazon for Stepping Into Senior Leadership or John Tate Bloomsbury, you'll be able to kind of pick up uh, any of the, the last few I've written. Or you can get it direct from Bloomsbury. Uh, they've, they've got, Bloomsbury's got some good offers on as well if you want to go direct to them, which is fantastic. And if you're a school that wants kind of a few copies, I'm sure they'll be able to do some kind of a deal if you, if you kind of buy in bulk. Um, if you want to find me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Team Tate. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as John Tate, but I've also got a, a Facebook account as well for uh, Edutate, E-D-U-T-A-I-T. So I'm on all, uh, all the major places, YouTube as well, you'll find me. So whenever you want to find me, I'm sure I'll be there. Certainly, thank you. And we're now on to the quickfire round. John, these are three um, quite broad questions, but I, I want your, your quick reactions. You're shooting from the hip, just what, what, you, what, you, what you believe. Um, so are you ready for them? Mm, yeah, let's go. So question number one, uh, what makes great teaching for you? Uh, students having to think hard. Simple as that. Right, I love that. I love that. Because I, I think, I mean, I know it's quick fire and, that, and that's what I want it to be. But if you unpack that, if they're not listening, they can't be thinking hard. If they're not, if they're, if, if they're, if they're off task, they can't be doing that. If they're not thinking hard, they can't be recalling things and, you know, memories, the residue of thought and all those stuff. Actually, if, if you haven't got that, then actually you haven't got great teachers. It, actually, it's can we get students to think hard uh, for kind of long periods of time you know, in, 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 the, in the classroom? Great, thanks so much. Question number two, uh, what one thing would you prioritise to bring about great teaching in every classroom? Questioning. Simple <laughs> as that, straight away. Well, I mean, linked to the last one, to get students to think hard, you've got to have great questioning. Like, you know, and, and, and I, I know I make it sound simple, but ultimately... I think it is that simple. You know, I'm a, I'm a big stickler for questioning and for really, again, not just crap questioning where kids have got hands up and we're going to the first person. It's guess what's in my head, all that rubbish. It's effective questioning, targeted questioning, multiple choice questioning, you know, cold calling, all the, all the things that we see at the moment about how we can make all students think hard. You know, I saw something on Twitter this week about, you know, the difference between if you say, if I, if I said, right, Darren, and then I ask the question and then I ask you to get it. Nobody else is thinking because I've said Darren at the start. But if I say, here's the question, now think, and then I say, Darren, answer it, everyone's had to think. Just by reversing the order of the question, suddenly, deep thinking everywhere. So little things like that make a big difference. Yeah, I love how the first two are totally linked, because mm. that way you have questioning, students are having to think hard. So the final one, John, is number three. If you could change just one thing in education, what would that be? I don't want to go down the kind of political route and all this kind of, because I, I think we'd all probably say smart. So I want to try and give something, something kind of practical and constructive. So I think it would be to give teachers more time, not teaching, but not to be doing nothing or not to be doing marking, but specifically to be watching other people and their colleagues teach. I think we can learn so much from watching other people teach, but we just seldom get the chance to do it because we're probably you know, three or four periods of freeze a week, you've got marking, you've got planning to do, you've got other things to do. Or if you're ahead of year, then you ain't got any freeze. You know, I've lived that life before where <laughs> people knock on your door and all sorts. And, you, you know, so I think that if, if by some magic that either the number of teachers were doubled in the, in the, in the universe and we, are, we, we taught half as many classes or the, whatever it was, I just think that that would make a, a significant difference to 
professional learning quality um, and um, really properly, properly reflecting on who we are as teachers and what we do rather than just jumping on the treadmill of teaching every day and kind of cracking on, but actually having time to step back, watch and kind of not standing on the dance floor, but standing on the balcony and taking a little bit of a step back and looking because we get we get lost in those things on the on, on the kind of dance floor, I suppose. So yeah, that, that would be uh, that would be my wish. But I know I'm not going to get it. <laughs> but we can wish for it and we can strive for that maybe one day. Um, so that brings us to the end, John. Um, I've thoroughly loved uh, chatting through um, stepping into senior leadership with you. Thanks so much for coming back on to the Becoming Educated podcast. I really value that. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's been it's been great. And uh, I wonder if I might admit, if I get back a third time, do I get to kind of keep the? Is it like the World Cup where I kind of I can kind of keep the mic or something like that? You know, if I if I get back on a th- if I back on a third time. I'll need to, I'll need to think of a prize if I can get if I can get you back on for a third time. What my match ball would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Thanks for listening to this episode of Becoming Educated. As ever, I would be delighted to hear your thoughts. And you can contact me via Twitter at DNLeslie or via email. So that you don't miss out, I urge you to subscribe to the podcast. And while I have your attention, why not submit a review of the podcast wherever you get yours from so that many, many others can access Becoming Educated. I'll be back next week with another episode of Becoming Educated and I do hope to see you there.